Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, inflation has cooled down sharply in the U.S., but will it help President Joe Biden in his quest for re-election? The Supreme Court stopped the Biden administration from canceling student loan debt. The Education Department just did an end around. Wait, what? Why is the far right trying to defund support for Ukraine? With 40% of the world enveloped in a searing heat wave, can the world really be relaxed about climate change? And there's a rebellion afoot. And the target? AI. What else? Shall we begin? Before we get into the meat of today's stories, I did want to mention the fact, you know, Facebook every now and then sends you something that kind of reminds you of a different time in your life. And for me, it wasn't all that long ago. But then again, it was. They sent something that uh, actually talked about my first podcast, which was in 2014. It hit me over the head that I had actually been doing podcasts for almost a decade. It didn't seem like that long. But one thing I will say. A lot of the problems that we had in 2014, which was, by the way, in the Obama administration, still persist today. And in point of fact, if you go back even a long time ago, going back to the 70s, you will hear musicians, particularly black musicians, talking about the problems in the black community that still persist today. Go figure. Who would have thunk it, as they say in Brooklyn? So, we'll get to the meaty order of the day. While much of Europe, especially the UK, struggles with high inflation, America seems to have gotten a handle on it. June's inflation rate was 3%. The Eurozone's was 6.1%, and the UK's is 8.7%. Even better, America's inflation drop is happening in the two areas where the public pays close attention, prices at the gas pump and at the supermarket. Despite the good news, the Federal Reserve says it may yet again raise interest rates. Fact is, the Fed is looking at the behavior of you, the public, to plot its next move. This flies in the face of some economics experts who argue that raising interest rates doesn't always cool inflation or necessarily affect consumer behavior, which leads to one thing that has always puzzled and kind of irritated me. And we've talked about this before. In the name of taming inflation, the rate setters often take bad news for working people, like stagnating wages and higher mortgage costs, as being good news for the economy generally. Why is that? Anyway, The new figures are good news for President Joe Biden. He calls his economic policies Bidenomics, which may be a bit pretentious, but what the heck? He's been pilloried for every bit of bad economic news since he was sworn in. This probably means that his opponents will focus not on the economy, but on culture issues like LGBTQ rights, how much actual American history should be taught in schools, you know, that sort of thing. If current trends hold, they won't be able to bash Biden on the economy without looking like fools. Now, there's a big caveat there, and that is that if the inflation rate stays down, if wages keep pace 
with whatever inflation there is, if raises keep happening for common, ordinary, everyday working people, then you will have a situation where Joe Biden will be almost untouchable on the economy. Now, again, there's no guarantee. Sometimes the best laid plans of mice and economics experts somehow go awry. So Joe Biden can't exactly sit back and rest on his laurels. Of course, some don't mind looking like fools. And I'm talking about people who will criticize Biden on the economy no matter what. But they won't mind looking like fools if it gets them votes. It's a given in American politics that if the economy is bad, the president gets blamed. If it's good, they don't necessarily get the credit. I'm afraid Biden may fall into the don't necessarily category. His approval ratings are still low. Whether the good economic news is credited to this president if things stay steady is anybody's guess. While we're on the subject of Joe Biden, just two weeks after the Supreme Court stopped his administration from forgiving $400 billion in student loan debt, the Education Department unilaterally eliminated $38 billion in debt for 800,000 borrowers. Now keep in mind, Biden's original plan for $400 billion affected tens of millions of borrowers. Make no mistake, this is nowhere near as sweeping as the Biden proposal, yet it's had no court challenges and seems well within the authority of Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. It's amazing to think that 45 million borrowers are in hock to government-approved lenders in this country. 45 million. That's more than 10%. I wonder how much they've made off kids looking to further their education, say, in the past decade. Because, as it turns out, issuing student loan debt, loaning these students money, has become a growth industry. Remember, they charge interest on the debt. Otherwise, of course, it wouldn't be worth whoever these lenders are to actually loan these students the money. So they're making money off these students. And of course, as colleges and universities generally raise tuition, even more money is made in some quarters. Now, whether you think the Supreme Court was right or wrong in stopping the Biden plan, you have to admit this indebtedness is a little over the top. This latest debt elimination isn't the massive plan shot down by the court, but at least, at least, it's something. Up next, the heat just keeps on coming. Fahrenheit, Celsius, doesn't matter. Is anyone actually ready to do something about fossil fuels? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, you're here with Mark Riley. It's the voice that you know and the information you can trust. Welcome back to The Intersection. They closed the Acropolis in Greece the other day. Temperatures in Cyprus hit 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The southern part of the U.S., about 40% of the nation's landmass, is experiencing similar searing heat. Will Sicily and Sardinia hit 
predicted highs of above 118 degrees Fahrenheit? Will it matter? Yes, I've been talking a lot about climate change and the need to wean not just the U.S., but the world off fossil fuels. I know it's much easier said than done, as I've said before, and I, re I hate to repeat myself, I really do, but I have to. I got no choice in this case. Fossil fuels are part of our collective DNA. Even taking baby steps would show the world's leaders understand the state we're in. Sadly, they seem unable to do much else besides get together in posh resorts and congratulate themselves on what they've pledged to do. Not what they've done, mind you, but what they've pledged to do. To say that's not good enough is the height of understatement. And so, the tactic of big oil and big plastic and big everybody else will be to divert attention away from what we see with our own two eyes. They've pulled it off before, so why would they stop now? It's a great business model and a brilliant tactic as far as they're concerned. Get politicians to act as though anything is more important than the destruction of the planet we all inhabit. Focus people's attention on trivia, minutia, anything. Our grandkids, our great-grandkids deserve so, so much more. We won't be around to reap what we're sowing. And that, too, is part of the problem. I was looking at a comment on an article on climate change in the New York Times, actually uh, an article on heat, and someone admitted, it was an older person, like me, and they said, you know, for a long time, I really didn't pay all that much attention to climate change because the pace was supposedly so slow, we'd be dust before it impacted the planet. Well, it's speeding up. And it's a possibility that while us elders may be dust, there are people alive now who will be impacted by what we do and what we don't do. We may not be around to reap what we're sowing, but somebody, in fact, will. Let's be real. The world's hot spots won't stay hot forever, at least not now. Sooner or later, Southern Europe and the Southern USA will cool off change of seasons. Will we forget this summer? I think we probably will. I don't know that there are many Americans who can remember in their own minds when the hottest summers they've experienced actually took place, what year it was, what summer it was. We tend to forget. Now, I'm not saying we're programmed to forget, but we do tend not to focus, at least historically, on what's going on around us as far as he's concerned. Oh, okay, it's hot. We run to air conditioning, or we go to the beach, or we get in some water if we are fortunate enough to have a backyard pool. But otherwise, it all blends in because soon after summer comes fall, and after fall comes winter, and we'll be worried about shoveling snow, not about getting out of the heat. But you know what? Our actions will betray us. Gas-guzzling cars, plastic we can't or won't recycle, the whole nine yards. And we have not even talked yet about the flooding that's hitting South Asia that almost no one in the Western Hemisphere pays any attention to as long as it's hot in the South. And where are the leader or leaders 
who will take decisive action to mitigate these calamities? Maybe not even thought of, much less born yet. Not too long ago, I told you the right wing of the Republican Party would lead a movement in Congress to end funding for Ukraine in its battle with Russia. Well, folks, that time has arrived. Rather than mount a frontal assault, the House Freedom Caucus is using a defense bill that's likely to pass anyway to push social policy changes in the military as well as drastically scale back U.S. dollars to Ukraine. This has been something the far right has wanted to do for a while. And now it seems this is the right time. What baffles me is that they have no chance of getting this stuff passed. They know this going in. It's not going to pass. Yet they insist on pushing their proposals anyway. It should be instructive to note that this and other proposals come from Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, a fringe Republican at best. Yet the GOP leadership of the House has given in and allowed this relatively small number of House loonies to attempt to dictate policy to the rest of the 435 members of the lower house. All this nonsense ought to be laid at the feet of who else? House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Yet this gutless wonder is scared for his job, so he lets the inmates run the asylum. The thing is, these Freedom Caucus folks have no real respect for McCarthy at all. They're using him, and he's using them. And even this slavish devotion will not guarantee his job. You may support Ukraine. You may not. In the end, it doesn't matter to these Republicans. Flexing their muscles in a lost cause is what's important to them. Trouble is, most of them are popular in their home districts and therefore immune from challenge where it would hurt the most. And here's an ultimate irony. The defense bills these people are holding up include pay raises for people serving in the U.S. Armed Forces, who a lot of these Freedom Caucus people would tend to lionize. But when they need to make a point, they'll hold up raises for soldiers. And that's not all. According to the New York Times, and this is a direct quote, among these proposals are a measure undoing a Pentagon policy providing time off and reimbursement to service members traveling out of state to obtain an abortion or other reproductive health services. Another forbidding the military's health plan from covering gender transition surgeries, which are not available to troops without a waiver, or gender-affirming hormone treatments, and a provision blocking the Pentagon from spending any money on diversity, equity, and inclusion training. That's right. Yet again, take aim at the LGBTQ and communities of color whenever you can, you idiots. Notice all the things they care about would take away, not give anything to anyone. It would be sad if it weren't so infuriating. And finally, there's some pushback against the excesses of AI. Too little, too late. This is The Intersection. You're listening to Mark Riley. It's the only podcast where the world makes sense.
Welcome back to The Intersection. AI is supposed to be a good thing, a breakthrough in social media. Maybe it is. However, for people like me, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I've long ago gotten tired of the word algorithm. To me, it's too often substituted and been substituted for actual knowledge of a particular subject or even a piece of music. Put basically, let's use music as an example. Would an algorithm create a better playlist than a person who is a creator of music or someone who has studied it, lived it, been an integral part of it? Most likely no, but to a consumer who has been raised on the choices given to them by algorithms, it most likely makes no difference at all. We are in the world, and actually in the word of Kay Thor Jensen in a recent PC Magazine article, in the midst of an AI summer. And yes, the possibilities inherent in this evolving method of computer learning appear limitless. I'm not going to argue that point one little bit because I'm an old man set in my ways. Of course, creatives who use AI would beg to differ, but that's something that will be decided in the courts because there are some court cases going on in regarding copyright infringement. However, it seems as though flaws in AI like ChatGBT and MidJourney are starting to crop up with increasing frequency. Not long ago, we told you about the lawyer who used ChatGBT to prepare briefs in a court case. Turns out the program gave him references to cases that didn't even exist. He had to, in the end, apologize to the court. That's but one example of the shortcomings of AI if not properly used. The PC piece points out not one but 10 flaws in what it calls generative AI. They make for interesting reading, that is, through these flaws, to say the least. Using one example, does AI commit copyright infringement? Some artists and musicians say yes, using their work to create new images or musical styles is the definition of infringement. Creatives who use AI obviously would beg to differ, but that's, again, something for the courts to decide. Another issue is when AI is used to impersonate real human beings. Don't think it happens? Think again. It's already happened. And though responsible AI models have safeguards against this taking place, many do not. There's also the question of who's responsible for work created by AI. Is it the so-called creator? the creator of the algorithm, just who? Make no mistake, none of these issues here will stop the spread of AI. Neither will any legislative efforts at regulating it. Politicians, when it comes to this sort of thing, are always a day late and a dollar short. This is the wage of politicians paying attention to technology of almost any sort. They don't pay attention until it's fully blown. They'll try to put toothpaste back in the tube, but by then it'll be way, way too late. In fact, it's already way too late. Is there a responsible way to regulate AI so the flaws in the PC piece and the flaws that that piece exposes can be minimized? Maybe, but the people most knowledgeable about this emerging model must be consulted and most of all, listened to. Otherwise, we'll have a new wild, wild west of tech excess.
Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.